comedy's funny because it's true. Uh, we'll get back to Sebastian Mascalco here in a minute. Um, first, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. We've been talking about uh, when Jesus says uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. We kind of talked about how our church was sort of founded on trying to do this wholeheartedly. Uh, and we talked, began last week just talking about how out of Hebrews 10, it says it's actually more dangerous for, for us to not meet together, even when they were facing in their day and time the, the political persecution that was coming on them for meeting. He says it's actually more dangerous for you to not meet together than it would be for you to meet. Now, I, I got to get a little disclaimer here. This morning's message was already planned, okay, planned weeks ago, months ago, already planned. How, and, and so what I'm about to say is not a reaction. The whole sermon is not a reaction. However... Every once in a while, something just drops in your lap, which is so ironic, comical, you can't help but use it in the next week's lesson. Uh, and so on Facebook this past week, uh, somebody made, you know, somebody quoted me on Facebook, which a lot of folks you all do. You, you, there's very few good uses for social media. I guess that may be one of them. Um, not saying that one of the best uses of social media is quoting me. What I'm saying is <laughs> to use it to be able to share something you're learning about God or to share scripture with somebody else. And so somebody just pulled a quote out of last week's message and posted it out there. Uh, and it simply, it was just talking about Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, remember last week we looked at how we need to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, that we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Um, that's why we cannot give up the habit of meeting together. Uh, just as, in fact, some are doing, uh, but all the more we need to encourage each other just as the day is approaching. So we talked about that, and the first thing is about unswerving hope, about hope uh, often fades, hope is difficult to, to maintain. And so the simple the quote was, uh, it's nearly impossible to maintain uh, hope in isolation uh, because we feed off the emotions and hope of others around us. It's what he's talking about right there. Well, the response was, uh, you know, social media is one of those places where <laughs> you never assume the best of anybody. It just seems like that's just what happens. And so everybody's out there looking to, like, be the social media shamers. And if it's not for political correctness, Christians just pile in because we've got a whole uh, set of doctrinal ideas that we believe. And if something that we don't think passes uh, muster with our uh, theology, we jump on it. Now, to begin with, everything that was said there, just, it came out of Scripture. However, there was an accusation. <laughs> it would be one thing if somebody said, that doesn't sound biblical, or I'm not sure that's what the scripture says. Oh no, let's just jump to, that's a spiritual vampire, demonic. Really? Really? Not only is it biblical, it's also Christ-like. What's the first thing Jesus does when he, when he starts his public ministry? He gathers together 12 others, right? And then even within those 12, he gets a, a smaller group within that 12 of Peter, James, and John, kind of his inner circle group, right? Multiple times he goes somewhere with just those guys. As a matter of fact, right, when he, right before he's about to go to the cross, he goes to them and says, can you guys stay with me and pray with me? I mean, how, 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 how much of a spiritual vampire and demonic do you have to be, Jesus, to go ask somebody else to help you in this moment? I mean, after all, aren't you spiritual enough that you can get this straight from God? That's what the whole post was about. It was all like, we don't need others. We should be able to get all of that from God and God alone. See how pious that sounds? It sounds so pious, it's actually, can I call it demonic? I don't know. Would that be social media shaming? 
Because what it's saying is, you don't need others. You can do this Christian thing in complete isolation. We are so entwined with our isolation, individualistic mindset in America that when we read something biblical about the need to come together, we look back at it and say, that can't possibly be right. And because it can't possibly be right, therefore it can't possibly be biblical, can't be Christ-like, it can't be what people did back in the day in the early church. That's exactly what they did back in the early church. Um, it's exactly what they did. As a matter of fact, not only that, it's, it's, it'd be inhumane not to. If you go back to the story of creation, uh, you'll see this pattern. And God creates, and it is good. And he creates the first day, and it is good. And he creates water, and it is good. And he creates animals, and it is good. Everything he says he's, he's created is good. Then you get down, and then all of a sudden he says, but this was not good. You know what that is? What he knows is that man's all alone in Genesis 2.18. Because it's all that the man was alone. And he says, this is not good. It's not good. It's not good for you to try to live your life alone in isolation. Because it's nearly impossible to maintain your hope. And if you're going to hold unswervingly to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, if you're going to uh, be pushed towards doing loving things and doing, doing, doing things that are good, you need others to come around you. That's why you can't give up meeting together because it's nearly impossible to do those things in isolation. And to say so is not demonic. To say so is Christ-like. It's biblical. It's the pattern we see over and over and over again in Scripture. Um, <clears throat> so how did we get here, though? Uh, how did we get to the place where we almost think that you know, isolation is, is good or, or it's, it being an individualistic is where we need to go? There's a, it's a great quote by Jeff Goldblum in the first uh, Jurassic Park when he's talking about how they ended up creating dinosaurs. He says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think whether or not they should. It's hard to realize that so many of the technological advances have pushed us to the place where we are now. Uh, it started with just the push towards globalization. Globalization is the, years ago, most people grew up and wherever they grew up, they didn't move more than, they never, they never traveled more than 50 to 100 miles outside of where they, where they were born. They just stayed in one place. Uh, nowadays though, we, we move. Back in the day, you, you found a job in your hometown, working at the local factory, doing the family business, something like that. Globalization has allowed you to pursue your hopes and dreams wherever you want to pursue them to go all over the world. Uh, and because of that, what's happened is that people rarely stay in the same place more than three to five years. Now, I know some of you are with a large organization that will purposely move you every three to five years. <laughs> but even when they allow you to stay in one place, oftentimes, even if we're not moving cities, uh, We'll move from one house to another, one apartment complex to another, get something a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a little bit more isolated almost, if you will. And what happens is we don't realize that you end up moving from a neighborhood where you had the opportunity to get to know a few people, a place where your kids got to know a few people, a place where you went to the same bank or you went to the same stores. You end up moving to another location and all of those relationships fade. Not only that, sometimes you switch other parts. You'll switch what ball teams you're on. You'll switch what community... Uh, services you partake in. Sometimes you'll even switch churches because it's just a little bit too far. People will move here and they'll move maybe out to Chesapeake, they'll move down to Deep Creek, uh, and they'll be just a little bit too far now to go there, so they'll go somewhere else. So even if you're not moving across country, just moving across town can have this effect of pushing you away from your relationships. And it's hard to develop deep relationships when you're moving every three to five years. Uh, another thing that's, that's contributed to it, of course, I can't go any further without saying smartphones, um, and I would call it anti-social media, um, but there's an addiction there, uh, so much so that uh, 
when I was watching The Social Dilemma, one of the funniest lines in The Social Dilemma was, do you check social media before you go to the bathroom in the morning or while you're in the bathroom in the morning? There are no other options. And it's true because that's just kind of where we're at. Like, have you ever texted somebody who's in the same house as you at that moment? Just, just think about how isolationistic that is. I'm not going to bother walking over to the other side of the house to say, hey, it's time for dinner. I'll just text them. After all, they're on their phone anyway. Have you ever told somebody your affections towards them over some social media platform when they're in the same bed as you? Just think about that. That happens. Try to go out to a restaurant. I do this. Try to go out to a restaurant, excuse yourself from the table, go to the restroom. On your way to the restroom, see if you can find one table in the restroom, or in the restaurant, one table in the restaurant, <laughs> one table in the restaurant where somebody's not on a phone. This happens maybe one out of every four to five visits to a restaurant, I'll find one table where nobody at the table is on their phone. Now, I don't count it if somebody just sat down, okay? I don't count that. But if anybody is sitting at their table, it doesn't matter if they're in the middle of eating, whatever, somebody will be on their phone every single time. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a conversation and you just pick up your phone even though it has nothing to do with the conversation, you just pick it up instinctively? All of these things are pushing you away from interaction towards isolation. But the phone isn't the first of these things that have done it. Um, there's a lot of things that have pushed us that way. Uh, one of them is air conditioning. Like, air conditioning? What's wrong with air conditioning? It's funny, when I was uh, visiting the, the Capitol years ago, every state gets to have two statues inside the Capitol building. And so being that I grew up in Florida, I wanted to go see what the Florida one was, and it was some guy I'd never heard of. Turns out it's the guy who invented air conditioning, which I thought was kind of funny, made sense, Florida air conditioning. But, you know, before air conditioning, people were outside their homes a lot. That's why people used to sit out on the porch all the time. That's why people had porches on the, you know, all the time. It's because they would sit out there and there'd be a social environment. You'd watch the kids play, you'd talk with your neighbor, you'd do stuff outside. But with air conditioning, we all got to come inside. Uh, then after that, we needed something to do inside. So then the TV answered that one right away. And so now with the TV, as that's continued to evolve and evolve over time, it's pushed us further and further and further away from going out for entertainment because all the entertainment options are right inside. We used to go to places like the theater or the community centers or even pubs. Now, I'm not talking about going out to drink. I'm just talking about just going somewhere to hang out and socialize. Uh, there was a couple in this church where the military stationed them in England for a while, then they came back, and they said what they missed most about being in England is they were in this small town where everybody hung out at the pub. They just, they just went there, like, oh, like two or three nights a week. They just go there, not to go out and get wasted, just, it's just where everybody hung out. They'd watch the soccer game together. They'd talk about politics. I'm guessing that talking politics is very different in person than it is on social media. I wouldn't know. We wouldn't know in this country, but I think it was probably different. They might actually share ideas of uh, something. I don't know. Um, but there was a move from that. And of course, cars and suburbs push people away from public transportation and living in community around other people uh, because now you can go in and out and, and never have to talk to anybody. For some reason, you still need to wear a mask in your car, though. I don't know why. Um, little things like the answering machine. You know, what starts out as, oh, this way I can get phone calls when I'm not home, right? You would think that would increase social activity. What does it do? We started screening our calls. So I didn't have to pick up the phone. And then from the answer machine, and then we got the next, the next better thing, which was caller ID. And even with caller ID, you're like, oh, that's my mother. I need to talk to her. But I'll let it, you know, I'll let it get the answer machine so I can see what she wants. Like, who, wh why? Why not just, just pick up the... 
other technology, the Walkman came out. Now, it's a lot of youth here. So the Walkman <laughs> was this thing. We had these things called cassettes. You could put 60 to 90 minutes worth of music. If you didn't have the song you wanted, it took about a good four or five minutes, maybe six, to find it. You always need to carry a pencil in case something went wrong. Your parents will explain that to you later. <laughs> but before the Walkman, we had the boombox. Remember? There was always like the one guy who brought the boombox, and everybody listened to the boombox music, right? Or you could bring a tape, and they would put that into the boombox. But with the Walkman came headphones. And now, instead of everybody together listening to something in a community, everybody was plugged into just the headphones. But for us, the headphones wasn't enough. We had to get noise-canceling headphones. I don't even want your background chatter to disturb what it is that I'm listening to. Just think how this has isolated us more and more and more. Um, now, all of this is why you'll then watch a comedian like Sebastian Maniscalco talk about the difference between back then of somebody coming over your house and now, and it's hilarious because it's true. We, we've, we like our isolation. We want our isolation. We get to the point where we think our isolation is good. It's what's going to make us happy. Uh, what happens, though, is, is we get so busy with our life and commuting and everything else, we have no free time for the spontaneity of that kind of thing. After all, if you come over to my house, you're interrupting my show, right? Um, but furthermore, think how much stuff you buy to improve your isolationistic tendencies. So for instance, maybe you either have these or you want to have these. I don't want to have to go to a community pool. I'd rather have my own pool, right? Because I don't want to go swim with all those other people, go to, the, you know, go to the rec center, even though it's an amazingly gorgeous, beautiful pool. You ever been to Bow Creek uh, Rec Center? It's like a water park over there, right? Why go there, though? I can want my own pool so I can sl- swim in it by myself or exercise equipment. I don't want to go to a gym. I want to be able to do that at home. Uh, I'd rather have my home equipment that I neglect than have a membership I'm paying for and not using, <laughs> right? Video game systems. My member my mama used to always say, oh, don't go spend your money at the arcade. You got that at home. You know, but the arcade, you had the social environment where you'd be around other people, and then you could put your initials into the system and see how long it stood there and watch over your friends and make fun of them while they're playing or go and hit the button while they're playing. And it was all kinds of fun stuff with that. There's other little things, though, we do for isolation. Think about how, I'm talking to you guys here especially, how many of you all want to have your own tools and not have to borrow anything? Even for a tool you're only going to use once. Oh, women, you're all in this too, those like uh, crafting things, those cricket, whatever, laser cut, die cut, vinyl thing. I don't know. Everybody's got their tools. But I, I do this. A tool that I will only need one time. I would rather buy it then call you up and ask to borrow it. Why? I don't know. There's just something about that that doesn't seem manly. I don't know. I just, I want my own tool. But really, I should borrow it because you're probably better at organizing your stuff than I am, and you'll be able to find your tool far quicker than I can find my own, so I should just let you buy it, you store it, then I can borrow it whenever I need it. But I don't. Think of all the services like Amazon Home Delivery, Grubhub, Grocery store, I don't want to have to go into that place anymore. I'll just pull up and you can put it in my trunk. We can, we can have a, a contactless this conversation or a contactless interaction. All of these things push us away from community and into isolation. So much so that when you hear somebody say, we need one another to maintain our hope, it sounds unbiblical. It sounds unspiritual. 
some people it even sounds demonic. Why? Because we are so infatuated with isolation that we think it is much more pious for us to have a solo relationship with God where we don't need anybody else. That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. That's not the pattern you'll see over and over again throughout the scriptures. God never intended you to do this life alone. He looked down and saw you alone and he said, that's not good. It's not good. So in the early church, when they first got together, it says this in Acts 2.42. So this is right after Jesus ascends to heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes. They, they wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes. Peter gets up, tells everybody what all has been going on, and uh, many people begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and says, here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking bread and of prayer. Then after that, everything he talks about after that is all about the fellowship. It's almost like he tells you the four things overview, and then he breaks down the fellowship aspect of it because it was so important and so vital to the relationship. He breaks down the fellowship piece. But he says they devoted themselves to these things. Devoted, that means this is what they were focused on. Is it fair to say that we are devoted to isolationism? Think about the money you spend towards isolationism. I want my own car. I don't want a carpool. What's that HOV lane for anyway? Is anybody really going to use that seriously? I mean, is the HOV re lane really just for people who have kids in the car? I mean, is anybody actually carpooled just so they can get in the HOV lane? We know this. Why? Our, our city knows this because we finally said, well, nobody's using this thing. Why don't we charge people for it? Right? So that way, I'll, I'd rather pay money so I can be in isolation than have to give you a ride to work and wait for you to be ready. That's just how we are. Think about how much we are devoted to our own isolationism. The way we build our houses, the way we live our life, the things that we buy, we go, we go, we go and go and go towards isolationism. It says, however, they devoted themselves to four things. One was to the apostles' teaching. That's why every single Sunday we focus on what God's word says. I get up here and I teach the Bible. Why? Because it's what Christians have always done. Now, sometimes I do it in such a, I don't know, unique way. Some people think I'm not even teaching the Bible. <laughs> Pay attention, right? Don't let the intro clips fool you. It's all about helping you understand the scriptures. In the same way that Jesus would use all kinds of illustrations, and he tells stories about a, a dad and his two sons, and he tells stories about a guy growing stuff, it's the same modern thing. You use storytelling to illustrate what's in the scriptures. And my hope is that as you walk out of here, you'll understand the scriptures all the more. Sometimes I don't even read the Bible verse till the very end of the morning. And the reason why I, I, I wait is because I've been teaching you the truth of the scripture the whole time. But if I tell you it's scripture on the front end, you're going to reject it. Just because you will. I don't know why. We just do sometimes. We don't like it. But sometimes I have to lead you to the truth and say, is it any wonder why God says this? But if you go back and look, every single message that's ever been given by me or anybody else up here has always been about teaching what's in God's word. You see, that's when they say the apostles' teaching. Back in that day, they didn't have the New Testament. But what they did have, they had people like Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, all those guys who'd hung out with Jesus. Now, could you imagine how much it would stink to have lived in that era and day and time, to have found out about Jesus on the day of Pentecost, like 40 days after Jesus left, and realized you just missed him by about a month? Like, you know, Jesus didn't live in my lifetime here on the earth. Okay, no big deal. But could you imagine how bad you'd be hating it if you realized all the opportunities you would have had? to go and see God, that'd be amazing, right? So what would you do? You'd probably find the people who hung out with them and say, what did he say? What was it like? Tell me. And so they would sit around and tell stories. And so eventually they took these stories and they wrote them down. So Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, wrote down his story. 
and John wrote down his story. And Luke went and interviewed a bunch of other guys and wrote down their story. And then Mark got together with Peter and wrote down his story. And then Paul, who was also called by Jesus, uh, wrote down a lot of stuff to various churches about what God would want them to do. And we look at those. Those those are the apostles' teaching for us. And by the way, the apostles also would take the Old Testament and show how Jesus fulfilled all those things. Because when Jesus was on the road walking with two guys on the way to Emmaus, he opens up all of the Old Testament, shows how all of the Old Testament all points towards him. These were all things the apostles taught that they would devote themselves. Tell me more about Jesus and how we can be like him and have a loving relationship with him that will last for all eternity. Uh, They also devoted themselves to, it says, the breaking of bread or communion. That's what we do here. When I first had the, the, when we were first developing Essential, we, we looked and saw that the biblical precedent was every week, of doing this every week. And I didn't want to do it every week, honestly. I didn't want to do it every week. Because growing up in a lot of the churches I went to, it seemed like as if communion was like, oh, this morning, I was hoping to leave. We got to do communion, so we got another 15 minutes. It was like a tack on at the end of the service. You ever been there with me on that? And I also didn't understand why we were doing it. Uh, as a kid, I loved it because I thought it was snack time. You give a kid, you tell, my mom would say, oh, we're doing the snack thing this morning. I'm like, oh, all right. You know, the, the adults are finally doing something good. If it's not snack time, I'll go to kids' church and get some goldfish. But if you guys are doing leaf bread and something else, and yes, I would probably take a handful back then from time to time. So, um, but I mentioned last week, the reason why we do it every single week, because that was our pattern. Because not a week goes by that you don't need to be reminded that you're not the only one who struggles with sin. Communion is a communal thing where we all come forward and testimony to the whole room, this week I have sinned and I'm in need of grace. Because the power of sin is secrecy. And the lie of sin is you're the only one. And by communally coming together for communion, we're standing up and everybody who's coming forward, all is only coming up for one reason. Because they recognize that even this week they desperately need a reminder of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made for their sin. And then of course they also devote themselves to prayer, that communion communion time with God. Uh, just like Jesus got away, got alone for prayer, but also had prayer together. There was prayer together, there was prayer alone. Uh, you need to live your life bathed in prayer. But let's go back to this community thing. That they, uh, the word here is fellowship. Um, uh, the Greek word is koinonia. Some of you all have probably heard churches talk about koinonia. Some of you churches maybe grew up, you had a fellowship hall. Uh, the whole idea behind this is to live life in agreement with one another and being united in purpose and serving alongside one another. It's basically where you're looking at somebody and says, we're going to do life together. We're mutually going to commit ourselves to each other's success. I want to make sure that you make it in life just like I make it in life. When you fall down, I want to pick you up. If I fall down, I want you to pick me up. Uh, that's what the whole picture of this was. And you see as this went together, it says, All the believers had everything in common. Uh, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, um, this was not welfare. Um, a lot of people have taken this and they've used this towards modern government systems. This was not welfare. Uh, in John chapter 6, Peter, people who had gotten, fed, you know, the people when Jesus feeds the 5,000, in John chapter 6, they come to him and they're like, oh, feed us every day. He goes, no, I'm not feeding you every day. And then Jesus was actually kind of funny in some of the stuff that he says. Is, says is, and some of the stuff that he says, he looks at me and goes, you want to eat every day? Then eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, what's he talking about? We know he's talking about communion. He doesn't bother telling him he's talking about communion. It just grosses them out and they all leave, which he did intentionally. If you're only coming to me for a free handout, leave. That's what he tells them. Uh, you see the same thing over in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 1 Timothy 5. It says, if you're not going to work, I'm not going to help you. This, this wasn't meant to support lazy people. Rather, when somebody was in need, because of something happened, they helped him out. This also wasn't communism. This wasn't them pulling all their assets together in one pile. Notice each person sold to meet a need. Not they gave everything they had to the state. 
This wasn't communism. Uh, back in a day and a time where you didn't have bank accounts, what would you do if there was a need and you didn't have the ability to meet the need? You'd either sell or you'd go trade for it. That's what they would do. Is they would take something that they had, went up and they'd trade for it, and they would then go and give somebody to something he has in need. Uh, so that's how they met those needs back in that day. Um, uh, this idea of fellowship, you'll see throughout the whole New Testament, you'll see these phrases, one another's. Uh, like over in Romans 12, it says to be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another. Uh, Romans 15, we need to accept one another. Galatians 5, we need to serve one another. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. Uh, in Colossians, we need to admonish one another. Uh, that's where you're getting alongside somebody and says, this isn't right, you can't be doing this. That, that's, it's one of the problems with isolation. When you're living in isolation, you have no sense of right or wrong over time. Begin to you know, think that what you're doing is okay. You will uh, behave your way into very bad practices and convince yourself that you're right in doing them. But when you're living life together with people, you'll have somebody go, this ain't right. You shouldn't talk to her that way. This isn't healthy for you. We encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, spur one another on towards loving good deeds like we looked at last week in Hebrews 10, offer hospitality to one another. Over and over again, you'll see these one another's throughout the Bible. This is what it means to live life together. It goes on, it says, they met in the temple courts and in homes. They did this both corporately together, like we talked about last week. We can't give up meeting together corporately, but they also met in homes. Sunday morning is not enough. It's just not. Is it necessary? Yes, but it's not enough. Why? Because you guys don't listen to a thing I say. You do, you listen right now, but you don't do anything with it. I mean, rarely ever do people actually do anything based on a sermon they heard. Now, all of you right now are thinking about some life change you made because of some sermon you heard, right? Okay, what to do? Shoot one for 50, one for 100 on you? Those aren't good odds, okay? Is it necessary for us to come in here and commune with God, to spend time worshiping him, praising him, uh, to refocus ourselves? Yes. Allow God to speak to us in this moment? Yes. But as far as real life change goes, that usually happens in small groups. It usually happens in small groups. I can teach on finances every week of the year. It won't matter. You join a Dave Ramsey small group or a financial peace type small group where we're focused on getting out of debt and getting on a budget, things happen in people's lives. You go to a marriage small group and one focuses on developing and growing your, your relationship with one another, it changes the relationship far more than any message or any sermon could. Why? Because in the context of small group, you have the opportunity to do life together with one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, uh, to pick people up when they're feeling down. That all happens in the context of small groups. Um, let's see, moving on, uh, they broke bread together, we talked about that, it says, and they ate together. Uh, one of those kind of small groups we, we encourage people to have here is called table groups. And Pastor Chris will get up here several times a year and will say, how many of y'all like to eat? Just really, how many of y'all like to eat? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, we all love to eat. Why not be intentional once a month, once a week, something, with one of your meals? Where you get together with a couple other people and just simply ask the questions, uh, what's God doing in your life right now? What are you praying about? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? That's it. Just ask those three questions. Ask those three, four questions. And I remember when I first heard about table groups, I thought to myself, if somebody had posted on social media, I would have been tempted to have come back with, that's not a small group. Small groups must have a curriculum. They must be focused on the scriptures. <laughs> Just getting together to eat is not sufficient enough for a small group ministry. Thank goodness I don't comment much on social media, right? Because what did the early church do? They just got together to eat. Well, what value is there in just eating? It's amazing the things that will come up over the course of a meal that would not come up in any other context, right? Like, I wouldn't just call Brad up and be like, hey, Brad, what's up, man? 
You'd be like, nothing? What's up? Why'd you call? Just to say, hey, see how you're doing? Doing fine. What's up? <laughs> nothing. Just wanted to check in. Yeah, well, what'd you call for? Just to talk. Is there any guy in this room who does that? And they're like, no. No, right? But if I see him at men's group or something, be like, hey, what's up, Brad? What's up? And we can have a conversation. Food facilitates the conversation. And when you have enough conversations, eventually you'll get to life. Not to mention the fact that you get a baseline for people so you know when something's wrong, you know when something's not where it should be. You know, say, hey, what's going on? Oftentimes, somebody will, somebody will come to me and say, you know, I was not at church for three weeks and you didn't notice. My eyesight's so bad, I can't see much past about the fourth or fifth row in here, just so you know, okay? Not to mention the fact that it's so dark back in these corners. I don't know who's here. I, I, I don't. The church is too big for that. However, if you're involved in a small group, people will know. I can tell you at men's group on a Monday night, if people at my table aren't there, I know. We all have like, we all have like our own tables we sit at. I know when somebody's not at my table. But that's about as far as I can know week in and week out, typically. If you want that kind of accountability, you've got to be in the small group for that, which is where we get after that. So he says, um, uh, they ate together, which is all good. Um, and it says, with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, this word glad is the same word we, we get for the word joy. There was a joy that comes with community. Isolation will lead to depression. But there's just something that leads to joy in your life when you're around other people. Doing life together with others leads to joy. Prolonged isolation will lead eventually to depression. It is not good for you to be alone. The other thing, though, he says with sincere hearts. The word here is simplicity. Uh, there was just a simplicity about their heart. Uh, the idea here is, is it wasn't all complicated. It wasn't all confused. It wasn't... Let me just summarize it this way. It's hard to continually hide your sin the more you do life together with other people. It's very easy to hide your sin in isolation. But there was a simplicity, there was an openness about it. Because when you're living life open before other people, you're giving them a glimpse of you into your life. So what this is all about. It keeps you from getting that far off track. The quicker it can be recognized and get you back on track, the better. And then he says, and then we're praising God. What happens as a result, when we're loving one another in community, we end up becoming the effectual hands and feet of Christ in that community then people have a deeper and growing relationship with God because they realize that God has moved in your life to meet their need, and it leads to them thanking God for what's happening in their life. It leads to a closer, deeper relationship with God when you're living life in community with other people. But here's the neatest thing about this whole thing. It said, they were enjoying the favor of all people. This is people outside of this group. And the Lord added to the number daily, those are being saved. People took notice of what was happening in their life. Remember years ago, uh, one of y'all had invited somebody to come to church who they knew through military circles. And it was interesting. She didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in Jesus Christ. But after a while of attending a small group, she said this. She said, you know, I really like Christians. Which, by the way, I don't hear that often as a pastor, right? <laughs> but typically it's because somebody doesn't take the time to be a part of the community of believers. They just say that from the outside or because they get somebody on social media shaming them or something like that. They have a really bad interaction from, you know, far away. But she actually came and she got a part of a small group and she says, you know, I don't believe in God, but I really like being around people who, who do believe in him. I said, why? Now, 
This isn't a knock on military groups or social circles, but that's the only thing she had known everywhere she had been. She'd been in military life for quite a while. She said, I've just hung out with military people for you know, like the past five or ten years, and I don't have any close friendships out of that. Everything seems to be so superficial. Uh, there's a lot of backbiting, a lot of cattiness. She says, but I just didn't know I could be around a group of people who actually cared. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of great, wonderful military support organizations and wives' ministries and things like that that are wonderful. She just didn't have the opportunity to be a part of it. Some of you are shaking your head like, no, no, there's not. I don't know. In the same way, I know there's also a lot of church groups that aren't very good either. I'll say that too. I got to give that out there too. But it was just neat to hear somebody say, I don't believe in your God, but I love being around people who do. And it bought the opportunity for her to continually hear the gospel. Now to this day, I don't know if she's ever crossed that finish line. I've had a lot of talks with her over the years. But it gave her the opportunity to say, there's something here and I know it. And I want it if I can just get to the place where I can trust your God. Don't discount what your authentic community can do to lead somebody into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how the early church grew. They saw that this was a different kind of group of people because they loved one another, cared for one another, and served one another. It's not enough just to come on a Sunday morning. God says you also need to get in community at temple courts and in homes. Don't give up meeting together as so many in the habit of doing. And everything in your life and your culture is going to push you towards isolationism. Would you want to close our time in prayer? Jesus, I thank you so much that you modeled for us life and community. That you lived your life together with 12 close friends, four very close friends. Which you'd come to them and ask them to pray for you, to go with you, to be with you. Father, may we follow this example and find people to do life together with. Whether it be by joining a large group uh, here within the church or even just a small table group of, of friends we get around. We might do life together with others. Knowing it's impossible to maintain our hope. It's impossible to maintain our faith. It's impossible to continue to walk the road that you've laid before us alone. And we were never meant to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.